0: Okay, welcome everyone to the Advocates Podcast. I'm your host. My name is Al Jones. I am a 22-year member of Advocates and I've had the pleasure of serving as the Advocates Chair as well as the Chair of the Chapter Leadership Council in the Institute. Today, this podcast is exceptional. We've got two great people that are going to help us through this podcast as we talk about the Tech Task Force and the issues that came out of it. Joining us are Brendan Chapman and Kelly Gustafson. So thank you, you two, for being with us this morning. And we're gonna talk about, as I mentioned, the task force in the data security report. But before we get started, I wanna get a handle on who you are and what you guys do. So Kelly, if you'd be so kind as to introduce yourself and give us a bit of a background as to who you are and what you do.
1: Absolutely. Thanks again, Al, and thank you to Advocates as well for putting this together. I really feel a worthy topic Going forward with the quickening pace of both compliance and changes in technology, when it comes to my background, I have been in this industry for about 20 years, starting as an administrative assistant, working through as an advisor for years, then as a wholesaler with a couple of exceptional carriers then in distribution with one of Canada's leading MGAs. And now I've started my own firm that is consulting strategically with A-level advisors on practice optimization, which is a very exciting uh, new endeavor for me as it does focus on both compliance, including um, disclosure and privacy and AML and FinTrack and technology and then also on optimization as far as enforce block management and the all-important conversations with your existing clients. So that's where I'm focusing right now. And again, thanks so much for including me in this podcast.
0: Kelly, thank you for joining us in Calgary. Uh, Brandon, what's going on?
2: Hey, Al. Uh, good to hear from you again. You know, you were just visiting us in Vancouver, and uh, now we're jumping on the line here. Uh, so yeah, I'm a millennial financial advisor in Vancouver, Built my practice over the last five years in Freedom 55's Georgia office. I love integrating technology solutions to make my practice more streamlined and really just delight my clients. Uh, I found that the industry is a few years behind, but there's a number of different solutions coming online that make clients happy and allow advisors to spend more time with clients. So I'm pretty happy that Advocates has embraced this and allowed the tech task force to, to do some research so we can stay competitive. Excellent.
0: A reminder to Avacus members to look out for more information on where you can access the full Tech Task Force data security report and how listening to the Avacus podcast can qualify you for CE credits. But for now, let's get going. Let's uh, let's get everybody engaged and, and get on with that. For those who may not be familiar with the Tech Task Force, can you please tell us a little bit about what the task force is and what they've done?
2: Sure, Al. So, Tech Task Force, really the purpose of it is to research technology tools and innovative solutions relevant to financial advisors, provide suggestions and options to the membership as these technology tools uh, may be relevant. Uh, I would love to just give you a list of all the members of the Tech Task Force because it's not just Kelly and I. So Donald Chu, Billy Zhao, Dave Faulkner, JF Damore, Steve Scatterdy, and of course our fearless leader, Curtis Finley. Have all been uh, diligently working to help uh, this with this report.
0: And Brendan, the makeup of the, the people participating in the report, their advisors, where do they come from? across the country, all advisors, what's the makeup?
2: Yeah, so uh, everyone's an advocate member. Uh, they, they all are advisors uh, or have been advisors in the past running their own practices. Some have been directors for various brokerages. Uh, some are also entrepreneurs outside of their practices that have built technology companies mostly in the fintech space.
0: Excellent. So Kelly, what inspired the tech task force to create data security report? What is making this issue so important to advisors?
1: Well, I think the the like I had mentioned before, the quickening pace of change related to requirements around compliance and technology. Uh, it is no secret that the traditional way of doing business uh, is no longer viable in the short term future. With the integration of many many new technology tools related to an advisor and the way that they run their practice, we wanted to get ahead or at least be uh, a group. Of, organ, of individuals within advocates that were able to gather information and, and insight and direct advisors towards some uh, commonly known issues, uncommonly known issues, um, things that they need to stay ahead of in order to be um, both compliant and have a sustainable and relevant practice in the
2: future. So with the stroke of a pen, we as financial advisors help clients make smart decisions. So paper is obviously still very prevalent in our industry, but technology tools allow for a smoother transition of data between carriers, advisors, and clients. However, the security measures that we take will ultimately keep the client information safe and if there's a breach, it's important that we as advisors know how to handle that.
0: Thank both of you for that that general overview, but before we get into the report itself, let's uh, have a quick message about the new designation from Avacus, the professional financial advisor or the PFA as we commonly call it in the industry.
3: Professional Financial Advisor. Has a nice ring to it, don't you think? It's what you are every day when you work for your clients, helping them find new opportunities, save for the future, and protect the people they care about most. Now, with the Advocates Professional Financial Advisor designation, you can hone your skills in practice development, financial planning essentials, as well as compliance and ethics. Find out more at advocus.ca slash PFA. PFA, it starts here.
0: So to begin, let's talk about security when it comes to communicating with clients. You know, one question I have is, what are some of the privacy issues that can arise with email and similar technologies?
2: For sure. So, Al, as you might be aware, regular mail is sealed to delivery. So if you were to write a letter to a client, mail it through, no one's going to read that communication until it's open at the client uh, level. With an email, it's actually potentially open for everyone to see and scrape the contents of that, including attachments, before the client may actually read it. So for example, certain pieces of information that you might want to include over email could be credit card, passwords, banking information, uh, any sort of personally identifiable information. So something to be really aware of for advisors is not thinking that an email is just like mailing a letter. And so many advisors may send personal information back and forth to carriers. And that might not necessarily always be the best way to send that information.
1: Yeah, absolutely. There are a lot of um, really uh, simple things that you can do to make sure that you are communicating. One, as Brandon mentioned, uh, making sure that you're not Uh, transferring personally identifying information like their social insurance number, like their banking information, etc. But for yourself as well, not transferring your passwords to all of your systems or making sure that you're creating strong passwords, doing something simple as um, two-factor authentication. So if you are logging into a system, you do have a notification sent to your phone so that the system knows it is actually you logging in. Um, choosing passwords that are harder to guess that have a variety of um, symbols and lowercase and uppercase levels, uh, letters, sorry, Uh, and then not sharing your passwords. One of the biggest things is that um, that we find that I've seen is that a lot of advisors are sharing their passwords to systems where there is a lot of private client data accessible. Um, another thing is not using your email on public computers, or open networks, make sure you have a VPN or virtual private network, um, not reusing the same passwords, and then making sure that you're logging out of your systems so that if anyone does come across um, your laptop, your computer, whatever it may be, Um, they're not able to immediately access your stuff. They don't know your password, et cetera. So slow down when you're dealing with private client information, make sure you have a plan in place and that you're following proper protocols and educating yourself on what you should and shouldn't be doing.
0: Well, certainly Brendan and Kelly, you've given me a lot of food for thought. And certainly one of the takeaways I've had is when you talk about email in public places, I'm looking across the table here and I've just spent some time in the second cup. Um, So, Really sending emails while in a coffee shop may not be the most secure way of doing it?
1: Absolutely. If you're locking, logging on to a public network, which means that you don't necessarily have to enter a, pa- a password in, and if you don't have security protocols on your endpoint device, like your laptop, so you're, you're logging into your Hotmail account while you're sitting there and while you're transmitting that data, you're in an open network. That is a vulnerability. So Absolutely.
0: So what about some of these other tools? You know, I'm hearing a lot about WhatsApp and Slack and there's all kinds of other tools out there. What are what are your thoughts on those?
2: So there's pros and cons. As of today, WhatsApp for messaging to individual people is encrypted end to end. That being said, the data that's being sent is really owned by Facebook. So could things change in the future potentially? There's also WeChat, but there's talk of potentially WeChat being monitored by the Chinese government. So there's really pros and cons to every communication channel. And what's important to realize is what are the risks that you take on as an advisor using various different channels and then choosing which platforms you want to use to communicate with your clients.
1: So I think something that is very important is understanding how to do proper due diligence on the tools that you're using in your practice. And as Brandon mentioned, end-to-end Encryption is incredibly important, and you can read that in the policies, terms, and conditions on any one of these platforms. And I, um, I would suggest that you actually do that. Take the time to make sure you're using tools and systems and applications that include. Uh, end-to-end encryption. That means that while the data is transferring, it is mixed up, it is garbled, and, and people can't legibly read it or scrape the information out of what is being transferred over the internet. It's critically important for your business if you're transferring client private information.
0: You know, Kelly, I like the word that you use, garbling, um, because when I think about stuff that keeps landing on my computer, or on my phone, uh, you know, how does one recognize phishing, I guess it's called, or malware that comes up? It just seems to be all kinds of things coming at me. How do you recognize that stuff?
1: It's easy. If you are taking a look at the email address that it is coming from. And again, slow down and take the time to do this. Um, Any reliable organization will actually have a domain name. So Kelly at kelly.advocus.ca. Advocus is the domain. So you want to make sure that that is a recognized organization that is sending you information. That's the first thing. The second thing is if there's any other indication of a a missing letter or a changed letter or anything, that's how they try to trick you. And when you actually open that email up, you may not be vulnerable if you click on something, a link. For example, if Netflix is sending you a message that your payment information is out of date, one they will never do that and typically organizations will not send you a notification like that you'll just they'll just cut off of your service and so you have to log into their secure login to fix it so one of those things very important is slow down and take a look at who the sender is and then do not click on anything until you hover over the link and see if it is actually a legible link that is leading back to the company that is sending it. Those are two big tips for recognizing phishing and malware and ransomware and all that kind of stuff.
0: You know, those tips are not only exceptional for us, the advisors, but it's also something that, as advisors, can pass on to our clients. Many times, our clients are are dealing with uh, phishing and malware, and, and that's extra information that we can share with them to help protect them as well. You know, I'm walking down Bay Street here, coming to the studios, and I couldn't help but notice all the people uh, glued to their phones, their portables. Um, you know, The world has become a place where we really do rely on our portable and mobile devices. What considerations should we have for those devices?
2: I think, mean, once again, it comes down to what networks you are associated with and what sort of data is being transmitted. If you're chatting with your friends on Facebook or on LinkedIn, and it's information that you wouldn't mind going public, I think you shouldn't ever have to worry too much. Now, if you're on a Wi-Fi network and you're logging into certain platforms with your secure passwords, that's something to be concerned about. You need to, at the end of the day, think about how the information flows, not just think about whether your device is your device. So if you're on a private server, or like I say at your office, or whether you're on a public Wi-Fi network, and then which sites are you visiting while you're on your device.
0: You know, we talked about a lot of things here, but why should advisors care? Really, why?
2: At the end of the day, clients do business with their advisor because they trust their advisor. An advisor needs to make sure that they're being good fiduciaries of their client's money, as well as with their client's data. Potential consequences might be lost clients if a client realizes that their personal data has been breached. Uh, Tarnish credibility for the advisor. If you got a bad review online, word spreads like wildfire. You could even face legal action if money was lost. I've heard of advisors who have placed trades from an email, which of course is not allowed. If you think that an email address that looks like your client's email address is sending you the request for funds, your assistant may actually place that trade. It's important that you as an advisor train your staff and understand the risks Associated with bad policies with regards to how you handle data.
0: And I guess that leads us to sort of best practices and, and how can the professional advisor handle all of this?
2: Well, I think it depends on whether you run your business through an MGA, whether you run your business through an agency, through a bank. You may have certain policies that you have to follow already. And so make sure you understand those and understand what you've agreed to. If you're the independent advisor, then you certainly need to make sure that you do your own homework. Make sure you have your own policies in place and talk to professionals who understand the risks if you don't yourself so that you can make sure your client's information is safe and ultimately your business is safe. Uh, I'd like
1: to I'd like to add. I was going to say here's the here's
0: the catch all to that one, uh, which will come to you, Kelly, which is, you know, uh, so we talked a lot about uh, securing communications with the clients. Is there anything else that we should be aware of?
1: The number one thing that you could do is actually have a plan in place and understand your protocols. There is a lot of really great information that is provided to advisors through their MGA and through the carriers that they work with. So bother to take the time to look at the resources that have already been built for you in the compliance sections on these, uh, on the, both of the carrier and the MGA websites. There's a lot of great information. And knowing what to do and having a plan in place, a proactive plan in place, is absolutely critical going forward. In addition to that, uh, I would say that outsourcing some of this, if you have a large block or if you're concerned about it, outsourcing your device management to an expert organization is something that you absolutely should be considering. There are organizations that actually do this. They manage your security. They manage your devices. They manage your cybersecurity. They offer you insurance policies. And they will do an endpoint device um, scan in order to, to, to make sure that what you're doing now, even if you're not one of their clients, uh, is within the, you know, the, is compliant.
0: Let's talk about a term we often hear all the time. Uh, The term is
2: the cloud. What is the cloud? So the cloud is a series of servers around the world that store data and are always connected to the internet. To, To us as advisors, data in the cloud is data we can access from our smartphones, from our laptops at home, or our computers at the office.
0: So Brendan, you said it's stored around the world. It's not, the cloud is everywhere?
2: Yes. So there are certain companies that store data as their business model. Amazon Web Services is is an example, and they have actual data warehouses all around the world. Some in Canada, some in the US, some in Europe. The goal here is to allow that information to be accessed anywhere in the world. So if we are uh doing business in Europe or in Africa or in South America. The cloud allows you to access that data anywhere.
0: So what could advisors have on the cloud right now? And maybe without even realizing it?
2: Uh your banking information is in the cloud. Your CRM data is in the cloud. Even insurance companies are trying to get data in the cloud from their legacy systems. Some are having some challenges with that, but they're trying.
1: Basically, a lot of the um, software as a solution services like Life Design Analysis or Plan or any of the other financial planning softwares, they don't actually reside on your computer. You have to log in through the internet and use the on-demand services as needed. That's in the cloud. You could have information that includes your client's information, your photos are on Apple or iTunes, the music that you listen to, your website habits, and more personal information and payment information like your credit cards, all on the cloud.
0: So, so when it comes to the cloud, and I'm thinking best practices here, how would the professional advisor be more vigilant and compliant?
2: So if an advisor runs their own practice, they should be researching tools that give the data security they expect for their clients' data. Uh, Hopefully that will fulfill the advisor's needs. The next generation of clients have high expectations about data security, but they also want to have ease of access to information. So what that means to the advisor is they need to do the homework because clients are, if they don't already expect it, they will in the future.
3: Let's take a quick break to hear a bit more about the PFA program from Avacus. A higher standard of professionalism for financial advisors and financial planners is coming, and once it comes, it'll be here for good. If you're currently practicing without a designation, why not start with the PFA? No work experience is required, and you only need your initial financial services licensing to begin. Start your professional pathway towards a designation that will communicate to your clients exactly what they expect you to be professional financial advisor. For more information, visit advocatesca slash PFA. PFA, it starts here. So Brandon, we
0: talked a little bit about the cloud. Is there anything else that uh, that we should know as advisors?
2: Advisors need to be aware that there may be unexpected data retention when they're accessing certain sites. An example of this is the cookies on your browser, where the sites you visited to and what uh, pages you visited that will actually be recorded and other information may be recorded by various platforms that you're using to help your clients with their financial planning. Another thing to be concerned about is loss of data. So even though all your information is stored on the cloud, is that information backed up somewhere? If the service that you're using was to lose your data, that's physical backups aren't necessarily a bad thing to have provided that those backups are encrypted and secure. Now, we talked a little bit about the physical locations of data centers, whether they're in Canada, the U S or Europe, but there may also be transmission of data between those data centers. Uh, And that is a bit complicated. And if Kelly wants to, she might be able to to jump in.
1: Well, I think that's a good summary. Um, It's, it's not just where data is stored, but where else um, it might be transmitted to while you're using a specific service. And again, All of that information will be in the terms and conditions and the privacy policy related to the software that you're using. So make sure you have a due diligence process in place or you're using recommended services from your MGA or from a carrier that um, are familiar and uh, where you absolutely know the protocols that are in place related to the transferring and storage of your private client data.
0: So one of the takeaways I have from the both of you is being aware that the information in the cloud is stored, could be stored anywhere in the world. And it's not a bad practice to make hard copies, hard backups, secured backups, encrypted backups at your current location so you have that data if things go awry elsewhere.
1: Al, when you said um, it could be stored anywhere in the world, that's actually one of the things that when it comes to Canadian private client data or PII. um, It needs to be stored if it includes financial information or health information. Yeah, it needs to be stored in Canada in most cases, unless consent is obtained. One of the nice things about Canada is that we do have options for advisors to store their private client data in Canada. So just make sure that um, you're doing your proper due diligence on any of the systems or services that you are using and that it is being hosted in Canada and that transmission or consent is being obtained for transmission if it is going
2: across borders. At the end of the day, advisors should be making sure they have cyber insurance if they're doing a lot of business online. They should make sure They take time and consideration with deciding which software vendors they want to use, read the terms and conditions, review their compliance manual, and make your own backups.
0: All right, so now it's time to talk about something that's really quite scary. You walk into your office one morning and you discover a break-in. Laptops and client files are gone. Kelly, what are our step-by-steps that we should be aware of?
1: Well, first of all, yikes, Um, that would be a very devastating situation, Um, not only from the perspective of compliance and costs, but business disruption and the emotional trauma that you're going to experience having to go through this. So step by step, you should have proactively put a plan in place so you know what to do. And again, carriers and MGAs have a lot of information related to this If it is related to information that is shared with these organizations, then you will probably have already assembled a team of experts that would include compliance departments at your MGA, um, compliance resources at your carriers. And what you're going to do is follow your comprehensive breach response if you have one in place. So you're going to call your compliance department. If you are your own compliance officer, if you're not your own compliance officer, you're going to make sure that you reach out to them first and foremost. Then the compliance officer of your organizations that you're connected with, you may even have to consider hiring forensic investigators. You're going to have to report this, obviously, to the police. Um, you may need to consult legal counsel if there was a physical break-in, for example, you're going to have to secure the physical areas, change locks, change codes, etc., um, and then you're going to need to report this as soon as possible. Typically, report standards are within the first 72 hours. You're going to have to assemble a ton of information related to everything that is missing when it comes to both files and the devices that were affected. So, all of your records everything related to what was in your computer, um, your own passwords, etc. So make sure you keep proper notes, make sure that you have uh, proper reporting protocols and who you need to report this information to. You're going to need to reach out to those clients that have been affected with a letter and a plan in place on how you're going to um, resolve the situation and what new protocols you have in place. So if in fact, um, Payment information or banking information or social insurance numbers. If the quality of the personal information is high risk, social insurance numbers, banking information, addresses, uh, phone numbers, all of that kind of stuff, then um, there's going to be a far more extensive reporting obligation that you are going to have. My best recommendation for this would be to have a relationship with an organization that can do all of this for you and have cybersecurity in place, an insurance policy that lets you rely on an organization to handle all of this for you.
2: I think Kelly's covered it pretty well. At the end of the day, it's uh, about realizing who all the stakeholders are in the event of a breach, reaching out to those stakeholders in an appropriate way, reassuring them that you do have a plan in place, that you are securing operations, and that this won't happen again. If you think up to many of the major data breaches in the last few years, like with Equifax, the way that they responded can make or break the future of their business. And there's really no difference for a professional advisor.
0: You provided us with excellent information about, you know, in in case of the breach. So the steps are what?
2: First and foremost,
1: secure your operation. And what that means is if there is a physical breach, make sure you've changed locks on the doors um, or codes, etc. Assemble the team that is going to support you through this process. That is your compliance officers, your compliance departments, make sure you're making pro- taking proper notes, and then you're reporting properly. So that is going to include uh, the regulatory bodies that could include PIPA, PIPA, OSFI, etc. or provincial regulators, and then notification to your clients.
0: You know, that's excellent advice, uh, Brendan and Kelly. When I take a look at the, our conversation here about a breach and the breaking into the office, that scares me. And I want to make sure that my clients, my practice is protected. So, uh, so thank you for that conversation, that scary conversation in the event of a breach. Now, I'm feeling a little better already. Last, but certainly not least, let's talk about how all this stuff fits into everything that's going on in the regulatory environment. What do advisors need to know? Where can they get good, solid information?
1: The best places to get good, solid information are directly from the source, first and foremost. So that would include Pepita, Castle, FinTrack, all websites dedicated to this specific information that will impact and affect your business, all provided by the Government of Canada. Organizations that will typically make this easier for you to find are carriers and your MGAs. But the best, the most reliable source is always the original source. So I would suggest investigating Government of Canada websites.
0: Excellent advice. And you know, one of the things as advisors or members of the association is that it is also, like your report, Uh, A a place where you can get other information to help guide you uh, through best practices and through this report that you guys have so diligently put together also helps point the needle for advisors to do best practices and get good information. You know, I can't help but think, earlier in our conversation we talked about uh, different, different jurisdictions around the world, information could be stored anywhere. In this section we talked about, you know, all the different uh, regulatory places where you can get information, and it, and it dawns on me that we're a national association and there must be subtle differences between provinces, Kelly?
1: Yeah, absolutely there is, especially when it comes to privacy. Uh, If you are interested in diving deep into that subject matter, it's not just the Government of Canada website, but every province has their own regulation uh, or governing body that can also add insight, resources and value. Um, if you're wanting to investigate that even further. So it is important um, if you are involved in any professional referral relationships, that is another provincially regulated oversight. So anyone that is sharing referrals with you or you're sharing referrals with them, you're going to need to talk to your or research um, provincially as well. And then your your, uh, provincial insurance councils. It's another great resource of information. You don't know what you don't know. And so that is a great place to start, just to try to figure out what your game plan is going to be related to all of your compliance, privacy and security programs and protocols.
0: You know, Kelly and Brenda, I thank you for the conversation that we've had. There's a lot of things that we've covered. There's a lot of things that we've talked about, but it makes me wonder, and I want to ask you both, you know, where do you think the industry is heading with all of this? How fast is it moving?
2: Very fast. Al, the future is bionic. Fintechs are going to continue to try to replace advisors. Other fintechs will work alongside advisors. But at the end of the day, all players are going to need to innovate or they'll die. Incumbents won't be able to protect their turf if the competitors are years ahead. So for the large firms that have started to invest in innovation, I think that's a good first step. However, there needs to be more collaboration with advisors in that process. Because if the in- incumbents take too long to innovate, the fintechs are going to be moving a lot quicker.
1: I couldn't agree more. Uh, I wholeheartedly believe in the value that you are providing to your clients. And with the speed of change right now, if you are not tech savvy or proactive in building a plan that meets your clients where they are, you will be redundant in a very short period of time.
0: Wow. You know, what are the most common mistakes advisors are probably making then?
2: Many advisors are ignoring the innovation within the industry and sticking with the status quo. Older advisors should be partnering with younger advisors to help modernize their practice or they're they should fear losing assets during the wealth transfer.
1: Yeah, you cannot you have to be actively engaged in the management of your business and actively engaged in the relationships with your clients.
0: Yep. Yep. Oftentimes, when, when we're at seminars or, or listening to podcasts, it's really upon the advisor to have some takeaways. So my question to you are, what are three things advisors can do today to move the needle?
2: First thing they can do is review their entire planning process. Uh, this will allow the advisor to really understand where the weaknesses are. And if they're working with a professional on the tech side, help that Individual identify the tools that are beneficial for them. So the second step would be identify which tools can support the advisor in their practice And step three would be to implement some tools or all of the tools over time This will help make the advisors life easier. It'll make the clients Delighted and it will protect the advisor from direct robo competitors in the future
1: Absolutely I would say assemble a team of experts around you, even if you are independent. You want to make sure all the areas that you are status quo or not very good at, you have resources and experts, again, in place that can help you navigate things like cybersecurity and device management and or from the compliance perspective, being more proactive and understanding really what you must have in your practice, not just nice to have, but must have in your practice in order to remain on side. So assemble a team of experts and be proactive.
2: Billions of dollars are being invested into these innovative fintech companies. Look at what Portage and Power are doing. Simple for advisors was recently purchased by Purpose. So I think the writing on the wall of which route Simple is going is, is quite clear. <music>
0: So how can members learn more about what the Tech Task Force is up to?
2: So we'll be posting updates in the bulletin for our, our next projects, and eventually that information will be on the Advocates website.
0: Excellent. And finally, a reminder to Advocates members to look out for more information on where you can access the full Tech Task Force Data Security Report and how listening to the Advocates podcast can qualify you for CE credits. And if you're not an Advocates member, be sure to visit avicus.ca to learn more information about the topics that we covered here and other topics as well. Thank you very much, Brandon and Kelly from the Tech Task Force, for joining us and being our, our guest today and providing us with a wealth of information uh, to make us better professional advisors and securing the data and information for our clients. I'm Al Jones. This was the Abacus Podcast. Thanks again and take care.